I don't even know if we remember how to do this anymore. We got this. This is Char. This is Barb. And this is Plug, Plug Your, Your Ears. Ears, where we sit back, chat a little, laugh a lot, and talk about anything we want. We're open, we're honest, and we're not PC. So, I don't know, she's got some Mountain Dew going on over there. I have a cocktail, but um, do what you gotta do and plug, plug your, your ears. ears. So, I think you're gonna go first this I week, am. right? Because yours is kind of short. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, we're, this week we decided we're gonna do hometown fiascos. I'm not really sure what the hometown murders. Michigan home- murder, whatever. I don't know. Well, I went with hometown. Yes, hometown. Because I am from the little... It's not a village. It's a city. But it does have a lot of big crime stories there. There, Well, there's a new one that I didn't even touch that we'll have to touch on another time that's just now happening. I don't know. Did you hear about that one? Yes. You know that house is up for sale? Oh, nice. Yes. So, yeah, we'll have to touch on that. I thought about doing that one, but it's not completed and it's right it, because it's and really it's fresh it's jacked up well and it's one of those is it too soon kind of things it's fresh it's yeah and and yeah that's crazy but anyways sorry to go off on so something we'll, that we're we'll not talk about that on. another day i went with a um a bank robbery gone wrong in my hometown you have a bank there well it's closed now it just closed <laughs> like last year but yes there was a little it, my hometown is perry or not not my original hometown, but the hometown that I'm from now, my children's hometown is Perry, Michigan. So, um, from legal, legal, dot com and UPI.com, I got my information. This, this sounds like just a bank robbery for a minute, but it's murder. I like murder. September 26, 1989. 1989. It's, I honestly... Which feels like not that long ago, but then you think, that's like 30 years ago. And, I mean, like my... I mean, I don't even know if you've ever been through my downtown of my town. It's like this it's, one little row yes, of... isn't that where the VFW is? Nope. The, the downtown's a little bit further oh, south. Oh, no. But, yeah, it's just like a little... It's that same road, Main Street, or M52... And it's just like a, some. Uh, there's Didn't I drive through that then to go to Aunt Jude's? Yes, you did. Okay. Unless, possibly. I always took that road to go to Aunt Jude's. Oh, okay. So you went through the downtown. Yeah. And like there's, there's a bank there on the on the right hand side, just as you leave like the corridor of all the adjoining By the ice buildings. Cream shop. Nope. Before that. Okay. Just as you're leaving, like there's like all the like the dance studio, the pizza place, the dog the, washers. The, well, the dog washer, then the VFW, and then some houses, and then you get in, like, over the railroad tracks, there's, oh, like, okay. the gas station pizza place, yeah. there's a resale shop on the right-hand side, then you go down, there's, like, the dance studio, and then just as all of those blocks of buildings end, there's the bank. Okay. And then the funeral home. Oh, okay. Well, I was just at the funeral home, unfortunately. At that funeral home? I think so. Isn't that where Dad was buried? Oh, yeah. that's yep. where my, Yes, you were. So you were right by the bank. Okay. So September 26, 1989, a masked man gained entry into the First Federal of Michigan Perry Branch at 9.30 a.m. by approaching two employees as they entered. Betty Green, Marilyn Parks, and two other employees were held at gunpoint as they arrived for work. Richard Church and Susan McIntosh were the two other employees. Did you know these people? I did not. Okay. I didn't live there then. Oh, okay. 
I didn't move there. Oh, I'm until... sure they still live there. Uh, not all of them. Okay. You looked. <laughs> well, no, not all of them live. Oh. <laughs> this is I told get you, good. murder. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> okay, so Richard Church and Susan McIntosh. Like, he got them as they were coming in, too. Richard Church, I think, was the, the branch manager. He ordered Parks to turn off the alarms and open the vault and fill a paper bag with cash. Um, there was approximately, she filled it with about $50,000. Oh, then, wow. Yeah. It's actually well, a lot for a little bank to hold. Well, that was in the vault, though. Oh, okay. Not in, like, a drawer. I mean, he got them as open, so, you know, none of the tellers were there. Um... He then removed his mask and gloves and ordered church. It, it gets a little confusing, so try to follow along. He ordered church to drive them to Flint in Green's car. One okay. And, um, but wait, they turned around and went back to the bank. Now he ordered Macintosh to drive Green's car and church to drive his car. He told church and he had the other, he, he was in his car with the three ladies and he told church to drive his car and follow them and he said if he you don't follow close enough i'm going to kill your co-workers and he said they were going to chicago so he headed toward lansing and like on the country back roads um he ordered them all i can't read my riding again <laughs> headed Shocker. to lansing and entered country roads ordered them all to Get out of the car? Oh, lie on the ground behind his car. But then he's like, oh, wait, changed my mind again and had them all get in his car. This dude needed to pre-plan better. You think? Which church was driving. Okay. So he's like, okay, we're all getting in this car. Church and was driving? I thought he told church to drive his car while... Okay, instead of Macintosh. Okay. Yeah. So um, they were all in his car. And he had them go to this gravel pit, which they ended up like over by Hastings. Okay. So, um, but then there was a car at the gravel pit. So he's like, okay, go, go back on the road. Go, go, go. I don't know. Go on the road. What? It? Yeah. I don't know what to do. So they drove around some more and then he ordered church to stop the car and told them all to lie down behind the car again. Okay. And told them not to move for 15 or 20 minutes after he left. And someone fucking moved. Nope. But instead of going in to drive, he put the car in reverse and ran them all over. Oh, my gosh. Green and Parks took the brunt of it the, because they were the closest to the vehicle. McIntosh and Church, oh, I'm sorry, took the were struck by the car, but they rolled away. So they were able to kind of get away from it. Um, so they both like rolled away from the car, got up and started running away. Seeing them escaping, he started firing shots of them. Macintosh, smart woman that she was, screamed and fell down, so he thought that she had been shot. And Church kept running. He fired more shots at him, and then he got back in his car and he left. But in an apparent attempt to free his car of the bodies, he ran over them several more times. Oh, because they were stuck. Um church made it to a nearby house and that's that's who called 911. Marilyn Parks, 57 of Owasso, was pronounced dead at the scene. Wow. The really weird thing about this is like where I got this from, it looked like actual court document type like 
explanation. It had like excerpts from the trial and what the lawyers did. It was called legal or whatever. And so it was like breaking down the legality of it all. And that's where I got most of my information. But, um, and I don't even know if I know McAllister. See, this is where I got People versus McAllister. Okay. That's where I got most of this of my information. But, like, so I'm like, okay, McAllister, McAllister. So I, like, Googled all kinds of shit, like, bank robber McAllister in Perry, Michigan, 1989, blah, blah, blah. I could not get this guy's name. That's the only place online I could find his name. Huh. Makes me wonder if he was a minor. Um, let me just tell you. Uh, police arrested defendant in Kalamazoo County reportedly before and after being read his Miranda rights, he told the arresting officer to give him all the time he could because he deserved it. He wasn't a minor. He was like 21 and he was from the Kalamazoo area. Okay. Um, he pled insanity. He was found guilty of one count of felony murder, four counts of kidnapping, three counts of assault to commit murder. He got 65 to 120 years for the assault, mandatory life for the murder, life for kidnapping, Oh, no, he was a Benton Harbor area man, approximately 21 years old. But, like, I Googled the shit out of this case, and I could not find um, this person's name. I was even, like, I went on the, like, interesting. Michigan, like, prisoners. You can, like, look up inmates, and yeah. I Googled McAllister. Well, there's no effing way I'm going to. No, you're going to find 300 McAllisters. So, like, there was, I, I don't know why. I have, I mean, I, I want to do a little bit more research, but like, I don't even know where to go. I Googled his name in like, you're going to have to go to Westlaw. What's that? Well, I don't know if you can go to Westlaw. I'd have to get a, Westlaw is where we paralegals go in and you would type in like McAllister 1989 Perry, Michigan, and then it will actually pull us up the court docs. Oh, so I that's have. where we do our research. Mm -hmm. It's a legal research website. Can you get it? You uh, see, I, I mean, you can also go down to the Cooley Law Library and do it manual. I just thought it was really odd. I mean, 89, there wasn't probably a whole lot of Google going on. No, but there was but, a whole lot of documenting in the court system going on. And you could probably go to the Cooley Law I Library. Just, like I could not get this, per, this kid's name. Hmm. One, it might be a, might be a challenge for me because that's me. So now mine, I chose to do the Michigan murders and that is legit what they deemed these murders. They call them the Michigan murders. So why did I choose this? Because it's my favorite fucking decade, of course. Uh, not really, but it's close. It's close enough. So we all know I'm obsessed with the 50s. I love the clothing. I have my cat eye glasses on right now. House styles, architecture, even the house I own was built in the 1950s. And I love the architecture because it was from the 50s. Um, now, he, like, I don't, I, I don't even know where I was going to go with all this stuff. So needless to say, there were bad things about the 50s, of course, like the whole segregation, and which was terrible, or smoking while pregnant, but my mom was okay. 
Um, my mom smoked when she was pregnant with me. I'm good. My, well, my mom smoked when she was pregnant with me, too. But um, it was also, you know, where they could have one-income houses. Wives could stay with the families. No needless to say, I'm open to the goods and the bads of the 50s. But the 50s led into the 60s, which yes. is where my story takes place. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you well, like that I had to find a way to wrap up the 50s in it? I'm like, I need the 50s. So my murders actually happened in the 60s. So there is this dude named John Norman Collins. This dude, Barb. So, they always use their middle name when they're serial. Is he a serial? Right. So I'm not sure what constituted handsome in the 1960s. Like my grandfather was a handsome man. He looked like he ran a mob. But they called this dude handsome over and over and over and over again. And all I could think of was this dude is creepy looking. Well, you know, though, like, like. I mean, they said that like Ted Bundy was handsome. Right, that's that's exactly. And like the first picture I ever saw of Ted Bundy, I was like, okay, I gotta see this because I, I like I didn't follow it. I like heard the name and stuff when it was all happening, but like until it, you got me into this horror of horrors, I was like, sorry. The first picture I pulled up of him, I was like, oh my god, he looks like Charles Manson. They do have a definite look. So, well, news articles describe John Collins. As a square jaw, handsome, all-American male who seemed to be leading a textbook college career. So he wrestled, he played basketball, he played baseball, football, and he skied. And he planned on becoming a teacher. So he was all-American. He did graduate from St. Clement High School, which is a Catholic school in Centerline, Michigan. He went to Central Michigan University. Which is, where, dogs. which is where one of my best friends is in the CMU Hall of Fame. Then he transferred to Eastern Michigan University. I was just at CMU last year for volleyball camp. That's where Greg is in the Hall of Fame. So then he transferred to EMU, which is an Ipsy. I'm sorry, Ypsilanti. So in college, he, of course, drank beer. He joined... Or if you're not from Michigan... Yipsalani. Yipsalani. <laughs> so he did join Theta, Ch- Theta, Theta Chi, and he dated often. He also well, why wouldn't he? Right. He also did some modeling. He appeared in bodybuilding magazine, bare-chested with rippled muscles. He loved motorcycles, a detail that later would come up at trial, decades later in the prison interviews with the de- with the detectives. At the time of his arrest, his high school girlfriend, who was Bernadetta Hudak. 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 So she described... Bernadette. Bernadetta. Da. That's Hudak. So... Hudak. Bernadetta. Right. So she described... <laughs> she described him as polite, with manners galore. He would open the door for a lady and stand when a woman or older person entered the room but she also hinted at another side. She said he was moody and he seemed mad most of the time. Sounds like me. Me too. <laughs> so now he was born in Windsor, Canada. He was the young, which is literally like a hop, skip, and a bridge from Detroit, Michigan. Okay, so can I just interrupt for hmm. uno momento, por favor? That we just met an angry Canadian and that's not normal? Yeah, that is so not normal, but no. Um, when we finish the history of this, can we take a little break? Mm-hmm. A so, bladder. yeah. So he was born in Windsor, Canada. 
He was the youngest of three children with an older brother and an older sister. Oh, that's they were, my little brother. They were Jerry and Gail. Um, Wait, what's his name? Jerry, Gail. Jerry and Gail. No, I mean, so, what's his name? John Norman Collins. So, um, his parents did end up splitting up. They were Richard and Loretta. Although, this, why they split up was unclear. Couldn't find anything on that. Now, Loretta Chapman, who was an American, then moved all three of her children across the Detroit River, and she married a guy named William Collins. The family, the all three kids, did take his surname. Oh, but did they get adopted? Yep. Or? Oh. But again, marital problems arose, dun, dun, dun. and the couple divorced. So Loretta supported herself by waiting tables at a Detroit restaurant. She's, one article says, wow, let's rephrase this. One article says she made her, her living waiting tables. But YouTube, the actual cop that worked the case was being interviewed. Mm-hmm. And he said Loretta was a prostitute. Whore. He said that many times the mother and the... He said that many times. But the, he also said that the mother and the sisters were both knockouts in their go-go boots. What sisters? His sister. He oh, had sis- one brother, oh. one sister. I thought you said sisters. Nope, they were knockouts. So Collins graduated from St. Clement High School. Um, many of the nuns liked him. And some even did Wait, the- wait, wait. She's a prostitute. She's got her kids in, in an all-Catholic Catholic school. school. So many of the nuns loved him. And he, some even defended him at the trial. He had been on the football team captain, rode motorcycles, studied to be a teacher. His uncle, here's the key thing, his uncle was a state trooper. Oh. So in the late 1960s, girls started disappearing from Michigan college campuses everywhere. So Eastern Michigan, U of M, Central Michigan, all totaled eight girls disappeared. Those three? Just those three? It said, those are the only three that they specified. Oh. So, but in total, eight girls disappeared. So this is probably because we're about to get into all of the, the history of the story. This might be a good time for your potty break. So on that note, we're going to take a short break and we will back and be back in three, two, one. And we're back. And we're back. So back to this dude. And there goes the cat. The cat's just apparently (laughs) deprived so the first murder was in july of 1967 it was a girl yeah i was a month old oh it was a girl named mary fledger she was at eastern michigan university she was catcalled by a young guy in a car and want and wanted her to go for a walk with him so her neighbor was watching this interaction and mary walked away from the car the neighbor had no clue that this was the last time Mary would be seen alive. Mm. So how much guilt do you think that neighbor has today? Lots. Holy crap. So um, at LaForge and Giddy's Road, her body was found about a month later. They did say that the killer moved her body minimum, <laughs> cat bitter, oh. minimum three times that <laughs> month. She, I told you she's the devil. So this Get poor him. girl was murdered, and within a month, her body was moved three times till they found her at LaForge and Gettys Road. Wow. Yes. The second murder was Karen Sue Beinman. She was 18 years Aww. old. 
um, and she went, went missing at Eastern University. Now, Mary Flesler was 19, Joan Schell was 20, Jane Mixer was 23, Marilyn Skelton was 16. Holy. Don, Don Basum was the baby of the group at 13. Alice Cologne was 21, Roxy Phillips was 17. They all followed this first murder. So between 1967 and 1969, seven other bodies were found. Wow. Most of them were mutilated, decomposing, and naked. Here's the interesting thing. All of them were on their monthly cycle. Oh. And they all turned up along roads and in empty lots. So Mary Flesler's body was found on August 7th, 1967. Um, but when authorities uncovered her body, she was unrecognizable. Oh. It had oh. been, yes, it had been so badly brutalized that she had to be identified by her dental records. Her feet what? and her her feet had been cut off and were missing. What? Her flesh had been what? ravaged by animals. Oh, well, that's. But they say that she. So they say she was actually she was the second body to be found, but they think she was the first victim. Mm. Yeah. Now at Moore Funeral Home in Ypsilanti, where her body was taken, there was even more intrigue. News accounts said that the unidentified man was presumably the killer walked in and asked a funeral home employee if he could take pictures of the body. The funeral uh. home did turn the dude away, but they didn't think to... Take his name address? Or... Nope, nothing. So the next one was Joan, she Joan Shell. She was found near Ann Arbor, so U of M, at Glazer Way and Earhart. Uh, she was also disfigured. According to various news accounts of the investigation, a roommate had said that Shell missed a bus to Ipsy to see her boyfriend and, it, and was, went to see her boyfriend in Ann Arbor. Then she hitchhiked a ride. So precisely... Oh, really? Yeah, that's a very... Right. 60s, that's 70s Well, and that's exactly what all of our mamas say not to do. Don't hitchhike. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine? I can't. So at this time, they did think that the two murders were connected. A supervisor from the university's alumni re relations office, where Collins worked, said Collins would torment a co-worker with graphic details of Shell's damaged body, according to... There's a book written about this called Terror in Ypsilanti. But after questioning, police dismissed Collins as a suspect. Why? Oh, because he had an alibi of his whereabouts. He said that he was at his mother's house in Center. Oh. Oh, your mom. Yeah. Really? And they confirmed that and she... Well, that doesn't actually say, but he did say that he got details of the thing from his uncle, who is the state trooper. So authorities did stop pursuing Collins at the time because he did not fit the profile of a killer. <sighs> so then the third victim happened. Jane Mixer's body was left on top of a grave in Van Buren Township, which is a few miles outside of Ipsy, um, which a detective said was a crucial detail in the long run that would lead to solving this case decades later. Then in April, the youngest victim, which was a 13-year-old girl, turned up. Oh, my God. Dawn Bassam was an eighth grader who was dumped along a desolate road in Ipsy. She was strangled with electrical wire. She had also been slashed. Authorities later uncovered clothing that belonged to 
based on a nearby, nearby far, farmhouse. Holy Toledo. Can't English today? Can't English today. They say that there was a sign that she did struggle. So go 13-year-old. Because she was in the basement of an abandoned house. Let me just tell you one thing. My 14-year-old is stronger than I am. Oh. And somebody tried to take her. I pity the fool. Right? <laughs> so she was found with glass on her hands and knees and was found in the barn. So she had escaped the house and crawled to the barn. So there, then mm-hmm. she got caught again. Um, the farmhouse did burn down a month later. The cause of this? Fucking arson. Arson? arson. I can't do this today. In June, there was another victim. This body was found in a grass trail, in the grass off a trail in Ann Arbor. She had been stabbed and then shot in the head with a 22. Her body was so damaged that it too was challenging to identify. Her neck was slit from ear to ear. But when Dorothy Callum saw an artist sketch of the victim, she knew <coughs> it was her daughter. Aww. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Um, yeah. So um, she was, that, that was Alice, and Alice was a recent University of Michigan graduate. Mm. At this point, they called in a psychic to okay. see if they could get some really info. Really, Nike? <laughs> Dogs chewing. So the psychic, which was Herco's, then made several predictions that seemed outlandish. Among them were, you are going to find a homemade ladder, and you are going to arrest an individual that has foreign money in his possession. No, oh, he's from Canada. So as it turned out later, um, Collins was born in Canada, and he had Canadian dollars in his wallet when the law enforcement found a homemade ladder where one of the victims was slain. Hmm. So, good on you, psychic. Now, Karen Phillips was slain next while she was in Salinas, California, Hmm. which was interesting since Collins was also in Cali at that time. Her body was found naked with her panties inserted into her vajayjay. Oh. Yep. Into her, wait, what what is it called? Her nani, Barb. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So, this happened, she was found on July 13th which was just days before Beinman's body was uncovered in Michigan. But in her panties was something like 500 short clipped blonde hairs. Yeah. So Collins and a friend drove to California. They were towing a stolen... Hey, you want to go with me to California to kill somebody? Right. They were towing a stolen camper. Oh. Um, Hey, you want to take a stolen camper to California so I can kill somebody? Right. So Collins had also given this Phillips friend, who's 17, a ride and then made a date with her. The next day, Phillips disappeared. Collins never showed up for his date. So California and Michigan authorities investigated Phillips' death. Um, News reports said that the Oldsmobile Cutlass that had towed the camper was registered to Collins' mom. Um, The area where the body was left was near... I don't know why this matters. I guess I, I do in the long run. Yes, I do. So it was left near a bunch of poison oak. Now, while in California, police said Collins was treated for poison oak. Nope. Yeah. Now, Beinman was the last victim. Her body was found naked. That we know of. That we know of. Her body was found naked in a mosquito-infested wooded ravine along Huron River Parkway on the east edge of Ann Arbor. 
She oh, had, I know where that is. She had been strangled and brutally beaten. On the way to buy a hairpiece at, wig, at Wigs by Joan in Ipsy, a witness said that Bindman had gotten a ride from a guy on a blue motorcycle. She never came back to her dorm. Oh, there's the motorcycle. Yep. So when authorities found her body, they didn't tell the media. They actually used this to try and set a trap for the murderer. So deputies replaced Bindman's body in the ravine with a JCPenney mannequin. <laughs> My kid works at JCPenney. And they waited, expecting this killer to return and move the body because he'd been moving the bodies previously, right? But they messed up the snare. A man got close and then ran from the area. Deputies failed to catch him. Bummer. So some of this... Well, I mean, on top of that, if he picked up a mannequin as opposed to a dead body... Well, they just wanted him to get close to the area. They were going to surround it and get him. Well, why didn't they surround it? Well, because they were still setting it up. They didn't expect him that early, Barb. He came too soon to the party. Well, you know what? They should be able to run. Have you ever seen some of the Michigan cops? I know. <laughs> I mean, Michigan cops are chubby, let's be honest. So, some of the slayings were so gruesome that to shield the victims and their family and the public from the indignity and horror, police withheld a bunch of crime scene details. Police say... That in every body, there was something shoved into the, ch- the girl's vajayjay. Um, Marilyn Skelton had three branches in hers, and she was only 16. Mm. Yeah. There was a $40,000 in rewards, um, which, just because Google Brooks not here, I Googled, and that would be $283,000 in today's per dollartimes.com. So, boom, did Google Brooks' job. So, Suck it, Google Brook. Yeah. <laughs> so after a two-year-long investigation, authorities could only prove that Collins killed one woman, the last victim, 18-year-old Karen Sue Bindman. Now, a trooper for 14 years, his name was Leek. He went on vacation with his family to Wisconsin. He left the family dog, a German shepherd, and gave Collins a key so he could feed it. Oh. But when the leaks came home, they noticed something wasn't quite right. <sighs> so on the dog. On July 31st, 1969, the Michigan State Police Director made a huge announcement. The killer had finally been arrested. He also revealed a shocking detail that no one knew or expected. So Bineman had been slain in Leek's basement. So Collins' aunt... Sandra Leek, discovered a few things missing and out of place when they got home, like bottles of ammonia and bleach were gone. Uh. There was also a blood splatter on the basement floor. Hmm. The, blood type, hmm. huh, the blood type matched Bindman. So hair clippings left on the floor were, from tri- from, were trims from an electric razor that the family had... She had cut all the kids' hair before they went on vacation. That was the hairs that were found in Bindman's body. Oh, yeah, no. in her panties. Now, at Collins' trial, a neighbor testified that she saw a young man who had been feeding the dog leave the resident with a leave the residence with a box of soap and ride off on a motorcycle. Dun, dun, dun. So Sandra Leek testified the scuff marks were left on her kitchen floor near the stove and refrigerator. There was also black paint on the basement floor. Leek called her nephew to ask whether he had done any painting. He said no. 
In a twist, however, it was Colin's uncle, which was Corporal David Leake, who broke the case. Nice. Then Collins was arrested, and ta-da! Guess what happened? The murder stopped. What had happened was... What had happened was the murder stunt stopped. <laughs> so, in 1970, six men and six women deliberated for days on this trial. Now, at sentencing, Collins actually spoke, which is not normal. That's it, not okay. Uh, it was his first... Even look at Nike. He's, he, she, he says that's not okay. Right. And it was his first public comment since his arrest. He said, and I quote, Your Honor, I have two things to say. He said this politely and impassively. He wore a green plaid sport coat and a striped tie. The first is that I honestly feel the community conscientiously tried to give me a fair trial. <coughs> Nike tried to give me a fair trial. The second thing was he said that he never knew Bindman. But things were blown out of proportion, he added. A travesty of justice took place in this courtroom during the past six or seven weeks. And I hope this, the error will someday be corrected. That is what he had to say. But even after the long trial, the public remained fascinated by these cases. So there is a book called The Michigan Murders, and it was published in 1976. Hollywood started production on a movie, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, Ooh. in 1977. Is it, a, is it a movie? It aimed to show the gruesome slayings and how it terrorized the Ypsilanti residents. Surfer-turned-actor Bob Purvey would play the good-looking motorcycle-riding Collins. Channel 7 anchor Bill Bonds was set to oh, appear. Oh, I know in, who that is. He was set to appear in the film, playing himself. That's funny. And Peter Herkos, the psychic, had a part playing himself. So, um, but partway into filming, residents who supported Collins and thought he had been falsely accused started disrupting the movie scenes and making threats. The protesters believed that Collins and the town were being exploited. Folks, shout, folks shouted at the actors, a large man with a beard poked a finger into a writer-producer-director William Martin's chest, according to the Free Press. The man threatened Martin. You're dead. We will kill you. The movie was never finished, nor was it released. I was going to say, I never heard of it. Now, in 1979, which was the year I was born, about two years after Collins... Oh, you're such a baby. After two years after Collins was transferred, was transferred from the prison in Jackson to the old fortress-type maximum security prison in Marquette, Nike, which Marquette's in the Upper Peninsula. Sorry. Okay, sorry about that. I had to calm down the dog. So in 79, about two years after Collins was transferred from Jackson to Marquette, which is in the Upper Peninsula, he tried to escape by tunneling out of prison. His efforts, With a spoon. Right. His efforts failed. <laughs> so damn it so what what happens when your efforts fail of tunneling out of your prison you try something else well yeah so he changed his last name back to his original last name of chapman which was the biological father's name and then by then with all the media attention his full name john norman collins was obviously infamous so um neil fink was a cop at the time um, and his wife stayed in contact with Collins 
and believes that he's innocent and that he should be exonerated. Psst. Apparently, this dude is that charming. Apparently. Right? So, I know somebody like that, though. We know a couple people's like that. So Collins also kept in communication with his cousin, John, same name, Collins, um, who also... Wow. Collins also wrote two letters in 2013 that with specific accounts on two of the other victims, Callum and Bindman, or two of the victims, um, and his involvement with them. In these letters, Collins accuses Davis... In 30 years of letters, Chapman said Collins exhibited a domineering personality, expressed misogynistic views, and seemed to have underlying anger towards his mother. After her last prison visit, Chapman said his aunt told the rest of the family that her son confessed to killing Bindman. And after she died, she left instructions in her will to give Collins nothing for reasons that John is too well aware of. Hmm. Yeah, he writes that he did run into Bindman. She smiled at him and waved her hand. He gave her a ride to the wig shop, and then she rode with Collins to his uncle's house to feed the dogs. But the dog Prince had a not-so-friendly streak, and Collins warned Bindman that he would bite her, so she needed to stay back. After well, they so he bit her to death. Well, after Whatever. they... After they chatted for a while... Nope, they, I'm not buying. After they chatted for a while, they started making out. Collins wrote that he got her shorts off but went no further and he did not have intercourse with her. She told him she had a boyfriend in centerline. He said, we fooled around a little more and I ejaculated on her panties. She wasn't upset with me and we got dressed. And then what? That's no. what the letter said. <clears throat> then he said Davis showed up in a car. In the first letter, Collins explains why he denied knowing Bindman. One reason, Collins said, is because in prison, snitches and rats get killed. Snitches get stitches. So, Collins then offers a similar account, but in more detail, in a, in a different letter. He writes, he ran into Bindman. She smiled and waved her hand. Went, yeah. Hey, how um, you doing? Right? Wow, I repeated myself. Okay, so... Um, he introduced Bindman and Davis, and he offered Bindman the option of riding home on his bike with him or going in the car with Davis. He says she chose the car. Then Collins writes that he went, on a, went to a bike shop to pay a bill and returned to his apartment, got a burger, and writes that's where it gets a little bit foggy. Mm. After 10 p.m., he claims an upset-looking Davis said he needed to talk. Davis said, and I quote, he told me something happened at my uncle's house that I needed to see. I asked him what was wrong, and he just said something like, come and see. Hmm. He wrote this, yeah. Um, and he figured that Davis just made a mess at his uncle's house. And then at his uncle's house, they went downstairs, and Davis pointed to the laundry room. When I turned on the light and looked around, I saw a naked woman, Collins writes. I looked at her for a moment. I walked over to see if he was playing a joke on me. And he had a and had a dummy there to scare me. He had <laughs> been known to play those kinds of pranks on each other in the fraternity, but it wasn't a prank. It was Bindman. Collins says he vomited into the laundry tub. He cleaned the sink and washed his face. Davis again quote told me that he tried to make a move on her and she resisted. Collins writes, he said 
that he kept trying and she said she was going to call the police and he snapped and choked her. He told me that he tried to get her into his car, but he could not because of the dog barking in the driveway. Ew. Collins writes that he knew he could Stupid dogs. Right. Collins writes that he knew he couldn't leave her in the uncle's basement. He was a, straight, a state trooper, for God's sake. Instead, they put the body in the trunk, rolled it on into a ravine, and returned to the house to clean up. But Collins said David did, Davis did something that would lead right back to me. Davis put the panties, from which Collins' accounts had his DNA on them, inside, inside Bindman's body. In the Why? October 27th letter, there was more. Collins writes that Davis had a twin brother with a car fitting the description of the vehicle a witness saw giving another victim, Joan Shell, a ride. Collins adds Davis admitted to going back to Feynman's body the night the sheriff's deputies had it and quietly tried to set a trap for the killer by replacing it with a mannequin, which matches the police accounts of that failed sting. Collins also says that he met Cologne at an Ann Arbor bar and made a date for Saturday morning to go for a motorcycle ride. They met at 11 or 11.30 in front of a U, the, U of M union, the U of M student union. They chatted and went to Burger King for a bite to eat. Next, they went to a pretty spot that was on the outskirts of campus, which led to sex. Colum invites Collins to a party in Ann Arbor, which Collins claims he wasn't sure whether or not he'd go. Instead, Collins said that he lent Davis, who was having car trouble, his keys, and he went to Ann Arbor. Uh? When Davis returned home, he told Collins he went to a party and had an accident in his car. He spilled a drink on the seat. He reached for something to clean it up, grabbed a cloth, which happened to be wrapped around a twenty-two caliber pistol, <gasps> dun, dun, dun. which they said that they had been shooting the day before. But a cop car pulled through the driveway and he got nervous. Davis wrapped the gun in a blanket, tossed them both into a garbage bin. After Colomb's body was found, Collins writes, Davis admitted to killing her. Collins also states that the, when the police saw him in prison because they found a semen on his body that was in Cologne, right. um, Collins ends the letter, he ends the letter saying that this is the first time he'd written down his account of the events, and if, quote, I had to do it all over again, I'd probably take a different route. You can't change the past, but you can hope for a better future. Now, interesting note, though, they supposedly solved Jane Mixer's murder in 25, or 2005 with DNA, but it was not Collins' DNA. Ooh. It was Gary Lederman, who was in Jackson Prison, but died in 2018. Hmm. We're so close, Barb. He, we could have been talking to a murderer. <laughs> so close. Um, but this was also one of the first cases to use DNA to solve it. So let's talk about this guy. Detective, this guy. Right. This, yeah, this Gary Lederman. So Detective Schroeder decided to look at this case, and he is the one that had the DNA tested on Jane's pantyhose that she was strangled with. So as he was investigating this matter of multiple murders, Jane's played out differently. Authorities were able to get the DNA match because in 2001, Lederman had been arresting for forging prescriptions which he pled guilty to, went to drug rehab, and as a requirement of his incarceration, he submitted DNA. to a DNA swab. Yep. As a result, his DNA was in a database that could be searched. So in addition to DNA, they had handwriting from a phone book in a Michigan dorm in which the presumed killer wrote Mixer, which was matched to Lederman, 
and his roommate in the late 60s testified that Lederman owned a 22 caliber gun. So a jury did convict Lederman of murdering Mixer, and he was sent, sentenced to prison for life. What? So it all boils down to, do we believe that Lederman did all the other ones that John kind Norman Collins says? I mean, it. Yeah, but everything dude, lined up with John Norman well, Collins, and like he had all those different accounts, and I, I, I mean, that's always. Like, it's sketchy. A, right. It's a little sketchy that everything was leading to John Norman Collins, but then they have the one DNA yeah, not be him. That. So this is, there are books written about it. Like, one of the books is called Terror in Ypsilanti, mm-hmm. um, which I'm, I thoroughly believe I'm going to Yeah, I'm going to have to download Read that. it. Yeah. So, um. Wow. Yeah. That's a twist. I know, right? That's a good twist. That's like, that's like, oh, this dude definitely, wait a wait. minute. <laughs> DNA? Yeah. Like, and what made him finally write the letter saying this is what actually happened and it wasn't me? Why didn't yeah, you dog out Davis in the first place? Did he say this is what actually happened? Is what, I mean, like, how, creeper, I don't know. I don't know. I, I always tend to. To be skeptical of the... Everybody. I tend to be skeptical. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, when they, like, oh, this is what really happened. Oh, no, wait. This is what really happened. Oh, I'm going to write a new letter. This is what really happened. I mean, you can say whatever you want to say after the fact. It's just a matter of what truly happened. So, will we ever know? We will never know. Mm -mm. Nope. So. So, on that note. There is the mystery. I know, right? So, on that note, you know what time it is, Barb? I know, and I'm I'm struggling with this one today. Tell me something good. Um, it's been a really fucking really bad week. Um, the I don't have my migraine anymore. Oh, that's good. I mean, that's a that's a stroke. <laughs> Honestly, if that's the best you got, babe. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, we went out Saturday. Well, yeah, Saturday was so, so much. Like, three of my favorite people in the same room for the first time ever. And, I mean, not like my long time in the world favorite people. Like, people I haven't known that long, but, yeah, my favorite people. And they were just all there. And it was all fun. Yeah, yeah. that was a good time. Yeah. So I'm going to have to go with yeah. Oh, wait, 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 wait. The best part, Shara and I were outside smoking well, I was outside smoking, and she so gladly came out with me. And then these, like, there's this little smoking shack right outside the door. We were standing there chatting because we haven't seen each other in a long time. So she, you know. A couple weeks, yeah. And there, and there was a heater. That's the only reason she went out there with me. And we were standing there. These guys walked by, and they're like, excuse me, ladies. And her, it was I don't remember what you said. Something about, wait a minute, where are the ladies? Where are the ladies? And I was like, yeah, who are you calling ladies? (laughs) They're like, oh, wait a minute, excuse me, bitches. We're like, yeah, that's better. (laughs) Instant. We're friends now. Excuse me, bitches. Um, So, yeah, actually, I ended up leaving her out there. They were chatting, and I was like, okay, I'm going back. Yeah. (laughs) Because she ended up chatting with them, and she wasn't even smoking. Yeah, we had fun. Um, 
Yeah, I'm gonna have to say my tell me something good was Vegas, baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah I got to go home for. I mean, that was a no. Short you got trip. to go to Vegas. It was a short trip. It was only five days, but I got to spend some really good time with my girls. Um, got to spend some time with my bosses, my attorneys, ghost towns, ate lots of good food, and it was warm. And I missed her. It was warm. I missed you. I missed you too, but it was something I needed. I needed to get out of this cold. I needed to get... See, now you can light your candle and think back for the moments. Yes, it was It was fun. And then I did not want to come back to this frozen tundra. It's not even that bad. Yeah, it was bad enough my car door broke. Yeah. Mm, you know. So, um, so that was my tell me something good was a little bit of warmth, a little bit of recuperation. Yeah, that's way better than my telling you something uh, good. I mean, we had fun Saturday, though. We really did. Um, so on that note. On that note, you I, can. Unplug your ears. Have a good is. one, guys. <laughs>